Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Americans continue to feel the squeeze of inflation. But as we always say, there's one group that disproportionately bears the weight of all of that. It's the poor and the most vulnerable among us. They often get hurt the most. So we want to dig into this. How is inflation acting like a tax on those that are already struggling? And what does it say about America's wealth gap? And what can the federal government do to get some relief to those who actually need it most? Really pleased to have Alex Durante joining us. He's an economist at the Tax Foundation where he works on federal tax policy and model development. Alex, thanks for jumping on with us today. Hi, Boyd. Thank you for having me. So let's dive into this. Uh, let's uh, get, let's start with a real good working definition of the inflation tax. Right. So so when the government spends money, um, it has primarily two ways to finance this. One is it could raise um, taxes. Uh, the other is it could also just borrow the money. So when it does this, uh, it typically issues treasury bills, which can be purchased by investors, in- institutions, or even foreign governments. But actually, the uh, the largest purchaser of this debt is actually our central bank, uh, the Federal Reserve. So, for example, when people ask, you know, where did all this uh, COVID stimulus money come from? Um, very simply, uh, the Federal Reserve uh, basically prints the money, or what it does is it credits the Treasury with the money they want to borrow, and then these bonds show up on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. So, depending on how quickly this money circulates throughout the economy. That's what's actually generating inflation. And because the consumers are now facing higher prices from this inflation, um, you can think of it, it's almost like they're essentially paying uh, a tax uh, for this new spending and borrowing. Yeah. And uh, we know there's a a new uh, CBO score, Congressional Budget Office, which is, uh, I always say they're the ones who force Congress occasionally to show their math. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And the, uh, the report shows that it is the lower and middle income households that are really bearing the brunt of all of this. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of that is mainly being driven by uh, increases in food and energy prices, which actually comprise a larger share of consumption for those low- and middle-income households. And it's also driven by the fact that lower-income households in general um, tend to consume more goods uh, relative to services uh, compared to richer households. And it's in this goods sector where you've actually seen the strongest price inflation. And I would also add that uh, I actually think the report, um, I, I think the, the situation may be a, a little bit worse than even the report indicates because the report assumes that consumption patterns for 2020 and 2021 look roughly the same as 2019. And we, and we kind of know from the data that that's actually not true, that there's been a large shift uh, to goods consumption and away from services. Um, so, so actually, the the households are, are feeling, I think, even um, a larger impact, and even this report indicates. Mm. Yeah, and and so as you look at where we go from here, obviously, as that uh, pressure continues to mount, uh, everyone starts scrambling for, okay, what do we what do we do now? <laughs> this is real, uh, and yeah. uh, where where do we go from here? Right. So, I mean, so there's, there's a couple ways I think that, that this could be addressed. So one is, you know, you have you have the Federal um, Reserve Board, you know, and uh, Jerome Powell has very strongly indicated that he's committed um, to bringing inflation down, um, down to the typical 2 percent inflation target. So he's been, um, you know, working to, you know, to raise interest rates uh, to help bring the inflation rate down. I and mean, I think in addition um, to that, the, the central bank could also use um, some support. Um, on the fiscal side uh, from our government, 
And I think, you know, committing to not, you know, uh, borrowing and spending, um, you know, in large amounts and also thinking about um, ways to, you know, to pursue, um, you know, more prudential fiscal policy going forward, focusing uh, more on, you know, balancing budgets and less uh, deficit finance spending. Yeah, you talked about in uh, in one of your pieces uh, just how we've often used you know this kind of money uh, to to finance wars, uh, even including the the war on COVID nineteen during the pandemic. Yep. Just walk us through that a little bit, and just help us understand how mm-hmm. that kind of spending rolls and where we are now, and what do we do to to course correct? Yeah, so this there's sort of, so there's this is sort of a, a, a siren statistic I'm going to share with you. Charity here. So what's interesting is that you know during World War II, a lot of that defense spending, while it was financed um, by borrowing, you know, there was also a significant amount of it that was financed, um, you know, by tax revenue as well. But what's interesting about uh, the, the the COVID stimulus um, was that 97 percent of that spending was completely financed uh, by debt and borrowing. Um, so you know we're talking. You know, basically unprecedented, you know, unprecedented amounts of um, of, of borrowing to address uh, to address a crisis. And I think, you know, and, and it's certainly the case that you know at the time, you know, we didn't know how serious you know this pandemic was going to be. You know, perhaps some of that spending, you know, was justified. You know, I think, you know, you know now that, you know hindsight being twenty twenty, you know, we probably would have you know designed some of these stimulus packages a lot better and more effectively. But I think, you know, what should have happened at the time was I think policymakers should have been more honest um, to the public you know, that, that there are costs, um, you know, from borrowing, you know, this much money, even if it is, you know, to address, um, you know, a crisis. Yeah, I think having that kind of conversation with the American people and, and that doesn't happen when uh, when these kinds of packages, you know, get done behind closed doors or in the middle of the yep. night. Uh, and then we just roll it out as a, you know, it's a, it's an all or nothing vote. You're either, you know, voting to save the country or, you know, you're pushing grandma yep. off the cliff, the, the false choice. Yep, that's right. <laughs> uh, and so how do we get to that different kind of conversation, especially in a crisis? Because I, I again, I, I think we all get it. A crisis is a crisis, but sometimes I think we either manufacture the crisis or we maintain the crisis so that we can do other things that we want later on. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I mean, the one thing I could I could certainly say about a lot of the, the COVID fiscal stimulus is that you know you know while I think you know you can make a reasonable argument that a lot of the stuff you know that we did early on was justified because again we didn't really know what we were dealing with. Certainly, something like um, you know, President Biden's American Rescue Plan, which was passed in early 2021, a lot of that spending um, probably wasn't you know really necessary, mainly because you know the economy was just starting. You know, it was uh, it was reopening. Um, you know, we had the vaccines. The, the general outlook of the economy was much more positive than it was a year prior. So it seems like a lot of, you know, the fiscal stimulus, you know, in 2021 was probably excessive and probably didn't really accomplish much other than, I think, to give us, you know, the significant bout of inflation that we're experiencing right now. Yeah. And then finally, quick question on uh, often when we get in these conversations, we, we get to the, the wealth disparity tax. The, the yep. wealthy seems to be the, the right answer to most questions. Uh, what, what is the right question we should be asking? Right. Yeah. So I, w- I would say about this, I think we're a little too much focused on wealth inequality in general. And I think what we really should be concerned about as a society is uh, consumption inequality. And what's actually pretty interesting about this is that there was a, a pretty compelling piece of research that came out about a year ago 
that actually looked at uh, consumption inequality across the, the income distribution. And, and what they found was pretty fascinating because they basically showed that um, at, different, at uh, different income quintiles, the consumption patterns um, were actual, there actually wasn't as much inequality in consumption as there was in income and wealth. And when you think about it, it's not terribly puzzling because you, you can think that we have a lot of um, you know, technologies um, that have really gone down in price over the past couple decades and are increasingly available to larger uh, populations in our society. So when you look at uh, consumption inequality, I think you see a much more um, positive and optimistic portrayal of what of uh, you know what income you know looks like you know in America uh, rather than you know focusing um, solely on wealth you know which I think is just is just the wrong uh, metric to really be thinking about these issues. Yeah, great insight as always. Alex Durante is an economist at the Tax Foundation. Alex, thanks for joining us today. Yes, my pleasure. Take care. All right, uh, we're going to step aside for some bottom of the hour news, and when we come back, of course, the midterm elections are four weeks and one day away. And Democrats are struggling to connect with an important voting block. What block is this? We'll look behind the numbers on a special portion of Inside Sources coming up next. Stick around. 